Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Okay, once again, I'm trying to coordinate this. Okay, here we go. It's Tuesday morning. It's early in the week, but I want to do the Haftarah today. And um, I have a very busy schedule this week. We have a big Vatarabana meeting today, actually. And I have my mom's yard site coming up. I'm working on that. And my lecture. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, today's uh, Parsha Haftarah, I'm talking about the Haftarah <laughs> podcast, is uh, being sponsored by the Fleischman family, by Ben Fleischman, a good friend. Uh Who's doing? Who now has his own business? Number one credit repair, LLC. Uh, but this is for his dad's yard site, which is tonight. Uh, Shmuel Fleischman. If you're from Baltimore, you know who that was. Uh, very fine person. I thought it was a few years. It was 18 years. Yard site. He was in my father's class, <laughs> the old TA, a million years ago. Um, and uh, all I can say is he certainly uh, this Shmuel Yehuda Ben Ben Yamin Yaakov, and he certainly left a very good name. A shame to for his family. Not everybody can say that. <laughs> but he's a very yashristic person. Um, anyway, pay tribute to the memory. Uh, and speaking of people leaving legacies, this Haftorah is kind of ironic because this is the farewell address in a certain sense of Shmuel Anavi, in which what goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. Moshe Rabbeinu found himself compelled to defend his personal honesty. If he said... Obviously, Moshe didn't say that. People were saying that he's cheating and corrupt and taking bribes and things like that. Obviously, people said he's taking chamor, he's taking donkeys. Or if you want to be, you know, Ibn Ezra type, chamor is a chomer, material goods. Uh, so the anti-Moses people, the Korach team, obviously said that Moshe was lokeh chamorim, and he was Maria, he was hurting other people. And Moses uh, indignantly defended his honesty. Because when a person's actually honest, it bothers them when people say they steal. If you're dishonest, you're a politician. You can fake outrage. <laughs> you know? Which politician in America could say, oh, I'm shocked. That people would accuse me of taking bribes. Yeah, right. Um, but if you're really honest, then you care. Now, the irony, of course, is Korach is the one who perpetrated this, or at least he started. He probably, if I know the Jews, Korach probably just unleashed a flood. He said, Moshe did this. I mean, well, this one said this, and that one said that. And you know how people are. I got him out of Egypt. Moshe did did all the other types. Yeah, but he stole this. He did this and the other. You know, that's the hawk. Well, generations later, Karach's grandson, you know, great-great-grandson, whatever, which is Shmuel, at least that's what they say, Shmuel is descended from Karach, B'nai Karach Lameso. So uh, he finds himself in the same situation, where he says, Shor uh, milakachti, chamor milakachti, and so on and so forth. So the context of the Torah today is a famous episode in Jewish history. Uh, 
often discussed by the political theorists, because this is the time when Shmuel Aleph, when the Jewish people shift from one form of government to another. They went from a non-monarchy to a monarchy. King Saul. Used to be that under the Shoftim. The basic idea behind the Shoftim was a certain state's rights, anarchy. I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean in a good way. Every tribe ruled itself, which can be good and can be bad. The good side means there's no taxes, there's no army, there's no police. You have to police yourself. You understand? Yeah, if, you, if roads and things need to be built, you have to build it yourself. Um, but you don't have a king. Because a king, in addition to having uh, responsibility and carrying out the building of the roads and the police work and all the rest of it, also lives in a palace, also has avodim mishvachos, also has gold and silver and diamonds, also has extensive lands, also has buddies and friends to whom he gives presents and he doesn't take the money out of his pocket, but he takes out of your pocket. All this is famously described a few chapters earlier that we're doing Arhaf Torahs, I think chapter 11, chapter 12 in Shmuel Aleph. A little bit earlier, when the people said, we want a king, Shmuel said, uh, you want, you're going to get a booby prize because maybe you'll get a king and maybe you'll lead you in battle. No, it was organized in national defense, but you'll also have a guy with a very big budget for maintaining his palace and his royal lifestyle, and you're going to resent it. But the people said we won't win anyways. I'm sure I, you know this story. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And consequently, they picked Shaul. But the story is that at the beginning, Saul was too modest. And people made fun of him and so forth. But then a crisis uh, emerged in which Saul showed that he had the steel that it takes to lead the people against Nochash Melch Ammon. That there was an attack on the Avayarni by the Ammonites. And without going into details, King Saul saved them. And then people saw he's Taka Gibor, and he could be a warrior leader, and he became the king. In other words, the first time they had the coronation, <coughs> it was something of a of a joke. Next time, the Haftorah begins when they say, let's go, be, let's go to Gil, go be Mechalesh Tamalucha. Right? I think that's the first words in the Haftorah. Uh, you know, let's go meaning let's have a <laughs> like people say is have a, a second wedding ceremony, you know, for sentiment's sake. So you wanted to be mechazek demulucha, therefore they have mechalish demulucha, and they did. At that point, Shmuel takes his farewell address, uh, meaning. He retired from public life. Now, he didn't live that long, but he lived through the reign of Saul almost to the end. The problem, my friends, is here you run in one of those, um, what's the right word, chronological conundrums, uh, in, which in, in the Nach, because one of the open questions is how long did King Saul reign? And believe it or not, it's a huge debate on this sort of thing. Check it out in Conciliator. Go online and get Menashe and Israel Conciliator. You look up the Pasuk about King Saul. He brings you all the opinions. Some say Saul was only there for two years. Some say he was there for like 20 years. It's hard to pack all the reign, the events of the reign of King Saul. Saul Melch into two years, but some do it. Uh, Seder Olam. Others get much longer. 
uh, whenever you have in the Tanakh, especially in Shoftim and Shmuel, unclear numbers, there's a wide variety of opinions you find in the Mepharshim how long the thing was. And uh, Shmuel, according to the book of Shmuel, he died shortly before the Battle of Gilboa. Again, the prophet Samuel died shortly before King Saul was killed in the Battle of Gilboa. So he was there for most of the reign of Saul. On the other hand, he was retired. He was not the Manhig of Kal Yisrael, although he was the uh, Balmusser, the, the uh, Mavaker Hamadina, as they call it nowadays. When King Saul screwed up, as happened on a number of occasions, uh, Shmuel and Nabi's there to let him have it. Not on his own, but from Hashem. Shmuel didn't want to do it. Hashem. So, uh, most famously with, with uh, Agag and the Amalekites. That's who he was. On the other hand, there came a point, very interesting, where King Saul is no longer willing to listen to criticism. And, you know, Shmuel really was out of a job. because It's a, it's a long and very complicated story. It's very fascinating. I don't have time to do it justice. But if you read Shmuel Aleph, you'll see that there was a time when Shmuel came and rebuked Saul. <clears throat> and then after he told him that he's more or less fired or doomed after the story of Amalek and Agag, so Shmuel never saw him again. Didn't go to him. And uh, Saul didn't like that. But on the other hand, Saul started to crack up in a certain way. Ad kidekach that Shmuel felt his life was in danger, which is why you have the famous story, which is straight in the book, in which after Shmuel sort of uh, tells Shaul that he's doomed, uh, Shmuel is told by Hashem to go and uh, uh, anoint David, David. And Shmuel says to Hashem, Shaul will kill me. If he finds I'm going to do that. And Hashem tells him how to avoid that. Shtel Zafar. You know, Shaul, who's a from guy. A from guy. He would kill Shmuel? Yeah. You see, that's the problem. Ruach Rabbi Asume Zeshen. King Stoll started mental issues. That was a punishment from God. And therefore, he, he could act in extreme ways, <clears throat> as we would say today. Just lose it. And a demonstration of that is when he kills out Nov Irak Kohanim. If you read the story, the Kohanim protest their innocence and this and that and the other. And the king just loses it. You know, and he says, kill them all. When the guards won't kill them, he sends Doeg to do it. So you see, you know, uh, he couldn't control himself. And a king has to. A king cannot be just unleash the anger. You have to control it. Now, all that's coming up, but it is foretold in today's Haftar because Shmuel, who had been a very active leader, he'd been number one, the Shofet, in both senses of the word. He judged people, you know, Mishba. but separate from that, he was the political leader of the Jewish people. If you read the beginning of the book Shmuel Alf, he led them against the Philistines and all this other stuff. But now the people wanted a different model. And so Shmuel, who's still Shmuel, is retiring. But 
very sadly, he says something very interesting at the beginning of Torah. And that is, he says, I'm over to hell. As the Loshan is, uh, it's today's Haftorah. I got you what you wanted, okay? And now, now you have a king to lead you. I'm old. I'm over the hill. Now, why does he mention that? If you go by our tradition, Shmuel was not old when he died. He was only 52. Everybody remembers that from uh, the Pesach Haggadah. You know, with Blaz and Azariah, 52 and all that. But uh, he says, Zakanti Vasafti, I'm old, I'm over the hill. I'm exhausted. Why? So, it's possible to say, some do, his kids were no good. They said he took bribes. That uh, ruined his, it, it, it brought his premature death. Right? This is Kavtal of Zikna. But, you can also say, and this is the Malbim, there's a very good Meduyak Malbim too, very bitter. Uh, he said it like this, I have worn myself out in public service and now you're throwing me away like a rag. And that is politics. You know what I'm saying? Like Truman said, you want, in politics, you want gratitude, get a dog. Don't expect the people <laughs> to do so because even if you work your head off for them, which Shmuel did, if anybody did, He's an example of somebody who worked his head off for the public. The public had no gratitude. The Loshan Amalbim is Anilo Hisakti Shum Tova Hashem I never took a penny for the hard work I did on behalf of the public. I was a judge in the right way. Judge is not supposed to get paid. Like the most Scarbatela. Shmuel wouldn't even do that. So a judge would be absolutely incorruptible. It's not so easy to find judges that are absolutely incorruptible. And the Gemara says, you don't need me, Gemara Subas. And it doesn't only mean Sheikhat HaMomen, it can also be Sheikhat HaDevarim. You know, there's all kinds of ways of, uh, you know, getting to judges. And the Jewish history and the Shalos and Shubas are full of this stuff. Hope to be talking about this in a series soon. So he says, I didn't get anything out of all the hard work I put into serving you, the public. <laughs> I worked my head off and brought myself to a premature old age. I ruined my health in the public service. Right? That I've gone prematurely old. So why am I gray? And why my joints hurt? Why am I this? And schwach and over the hill, like I said before, I'm actually kind of young. He wasn't quite 50 at the time he said this. I repeat, he was, he was in his 40s. He said, but he worked a uh, hard day and night. Shmuel used to ride around, they say, on a the, on the, on the donkey, you know, from town to town, place to place. And uh, let's put it this way. He wanted as efficient a judiciary as possible. And he was the one-man judiciary. So I'm trying to say it's like this. Shmuel and Nubby, wore like several hats that you see over here. One hat is that he was a prophet. So he did whatever it takes to reach the Madrega to be a Navi. That's the story at the beginning of Shmuel that he got Nebuah even when he was a young child in the Mishkan. 
So he had unusual upbringing. Separate from that, he learned up a storm, and he was a relied upon and experienced judge. A shofet in, in the literal sense, a shofet, like you see in Israel, a dying. That is a pain in the neck. How would you like to have to go? That's different than being a navi. That means you go to this town and you hear a bunch of chashmishba cases. You go to that town, people are quarreling. Here they're quarreling about Metaltlan. There they're quarreling about uh, Karka. Here they have a family feud. <laughs> Husband and wife. In-laws. Who knows? And here's the poor guy. As a navi, he would crave solitude. A real navi likes to his boat of this stuff. Mahir Shmuel, who gave up on his boat's business to serve the public. You get where I'm going with all this? There are a lot of navis out there. <clears throat> the ones we know, but the ones we don't know of. They were not public servants. They were Nevi'im. Their job was to communicate something from Hashem whenever Hashem so desired it. Why did he pick this guy, that one, this woman, that woman? Hashem had reasons. Shmuel was not that kind of guy. He was a Novi, and by the way, among the greatest, I think you know this, anybody familiar with the Gemara knows, Moshe of Aaron, that the reason he's putting the same Pusik in the Tilm with Moshe and Aaron is because he was up there. Uh, at the same time, he was dealing, like I say, with Schwartz versus Friedman, and, you know, Kramer versus Kramer, and so on and so forth. All these stupid cases, Yom of Elilah. That's who he was. And the Malvin says in this speech, he said, what happened? I wore myself out in your service. And the Jewish people then told him, you're too old, get the heck out of the way and get us a king. Because that is the lesson they said a couple things earlier. So you can't get a bigger disgusting behavior on the part of the Jewish people than what I just described. He, he, you know, uh, worked for them, worked his head off for them. And as a result, they said, now you're fired. Okay. You think I'm kidding. If you go back to, uh, let me see over here, Perek, uh, here it is, Perekes, Pasek, uh, Dalin and Hay. Anybody that's a little bit familiar with Shmuel, know what I'm talking about. All the Zikni Yisrael came, the Zikni Yisrael, okay, the Zikni Yisrael, so in other words, the elites, maybe they were jealous of him that he was setting too good an example for them. You're old. Okay? You're old. So, basically, uh, gets a young guy. Gets a king. So I worked hard, and this is my gratitude. Now you know how Moshe Rabbeinu felt when Korah said all this stuff to him. Okay? Now, you see, the thing that bothered him most, or at least it seems that way from the Torah, is that being fired is going to be construed as a reflection of his judicial dishonesty. It's not simply, you're too old, you don't have the physical ability anymore to do so. That is the reason they told him. Right? They said, you know, you're too old, you don't have the ability to do it anymore. We want a king. But it's in the nature of things that when new guys come in and take over jobs, they make fun of the old one, the one before them. It shouldn't be like that. And 
you know, I know in, like a new rabbi, <coughs> excuse me, takes over from the old one, uh, just a, a, a snide remark here and there. He's afraid that people say like this, you know, Shmuel, eh, you know, yeah, the old guy, his kids are no good. Where did they learn it? They learn it from the old man. That sort of thing. And you see from the language over here that what bothered him more was the reflection on his personal character. And therefore he says something that Barbanel says this. It's very good. Barbanel said, before I hand over the office to the king, and the king is going to bring in his friends, and those guys are Team Trump, and therefore they're going to speak against Obama. Or those guys are going to be the Team Biden. They're going to speak against Trump. Because that's what you do. You diss your predecessors. Before the king takes over, I'm going to put it out there right now, because they're all here. It says, Call Yisrael came. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said, You're before God and before the anointed, before, before Saul. I mean, before Team Saul takes over, and so forth. I dare anybody to say uh, that I took a penny. And if they do, look how he said it. I'll write you a check right now. Now, I know a bunch of Jewish schmoes that they would say, I guess you owe me money. <laughs> you get a check from Shmuel. But, but they couldn't do it. No, so uh, incorruptible was his character that he, even le- he did not even leave an opportunity for somebody to claim wrong. Now, I don't think you appreciate this. How should I put it? The guy was a judge for many years. If you're a judge, you settle cases. So let's say like this. Let's say Schwartz versus Friedman. <laughs> and let's say Schwartz says Friedman owes him 10 grand. By the time it's over, the judge, Schmuel, will say, actually, Friedman does not owe Schwartz the money. Or the other way around. So one's a winner, one's a loser. Immediately, the loser is going to say like this, the judge was bad. Yet that's the nature of how people are. The loser in the case is always going to complain about the judge. Isn't that true? I mean, it's true down till today. And so... Let's say I was the loser. Let's say I'm Friedman. And he made me pay 10K. And I feel it wasn't right. I'm going to go around like this. That Shmuel's the son of a gun. He took my money. It was a Geneva. It was a judicial outrage. And so on and so forth. So here's Shmuel later on saying like this. I hold that my cases were judged so correctly. And I made the parties understand. Why this one wins and this one loses and all the rest of it. And my conduct has been so unimpeachable, I dare anyone to say over here that I acted wrong. And if they think, if there's a Friedman out there who says I owe him the 10 grand, I'll write you a check right now. <laughs> what judge can say that? Okay. Couldn't happen in Baltimore, couldn't happen in New York. You know? People would immediately say, you know, when you made me lose this case to the caterer, to the wife, to the this, you know, I want my money back. A ton of people lie that I want my money back. But he didn't do it. It says, It says over there, You know, they said, 
we publicly acknowledge that nobody has any tiners on you. That is a heck of a moment. Uh, that means even the losers conceded, I don't like the fact that I lost the case. You know, that's that's human being. I don't like that. But I acknowledge that what you did was fair. Okay? I acknowledge what you did was what was only right. Uh, that's a very high standard. Now, why should Shmuel do it now? Uh, here's a contrast between Shmuel and Moshe Rabbeinu. I like this in the Malbim. I'm sorry, in the Abarbanel. Okay? Uh, Shmuel says in the beginning, I've listened to your voice and I have appointed the king. So I have resigned. I am today tendering my resignation. Now that I'm tendering resignation, I want to issue a call to challenge anybody who, who, who doesn't believe that I was incorruptible. Why is he doing this order? So the Barbino, like I told you last week, he's very political in the philosophical sense. He says, if Shmuel would protest his innocence before Saul would be anointed, then people say he's only protesting his innocence to protect his job. But if he's resigned, so he's not going to have the job anyway and now protest his innocence, then it's true. You see, the Lashon of Barbano. Because, you know, in this whole Haftar we're going to do today, he's going to say, Hashem is angry at you for picking a king. I'm going to bring a sign and all that. It's going to rain out of season. And you've done the wrong thing. And you have no amuna. But first he resigned. If he would do it before he resigned, people say like this. He's just saying it's all, it's all it's making it sound like it's a matter of principle. Really, it's about saving his job. But he, he didn't do it. He, that's why he says, I don't want you to think that I'm doing this in order to save my job and prevent you from setting up a king. Moshe Rabbeinu was not in that situation. When Korach attacks Moshe, you have this whole Pasha this week, one of the things undermining the claims of Moshe in the eyes of the people is as follows. Of course he's denying what Korach says. He wants to hold on to his job. He's got a good thing going. He's the head. Aaron is number two. Miriam's up there. Uh, <laughs> like my mother said, Feta, cool, you know. Found himself in a good field over there. Naturally, he's protesting in his innocence. And that's what Korach knows, guys, said. Which is why the only way Moshe could prove his innocence was through a miracle of the ground swallowing them up. After that, what are you going to say? <laughs> Shmuel is not in that situation. Unlike Moshe, who was in office until he died, Shmuel resigned. wasn't happy about it, but he resigned a number of years before he died. This is a big difference between him and Moshe. In order to preserve his bona fides, he says, I'm only going to make complaints against the Jewish people after I resign, so you shouldn't think that I'm doing it to hold on my office. <clears throat> now, the corollary is that people say this, okay, he's not doing it to hold on to his office, but he's doing it out of bitter grapes, sour grapes. He's angry, and he was, and, uh, you know, he's bitter, 
And therefore, it's like a president of the United States writing his memoirs. It's all the, everybody else's fault. And he says so in the Haftar. But in order to, um, what do you call it? Demonstrate that he was a class actor and didn't act this way. You have in our Torah, when it starts lightning and thundering, and the people say, oh, what was us? Everybody got scared of Hashem. They also got scared of Shmuel. Maybe he's going to put a claw on us or something like that. He's obviously bitter. Maybe you made a mistake. He's going to curse us. His poly will be out of a dechel Hashem on the moose. Right? Pray to God not to kill us. We see now that we were wrong to ask a king for a king. No, they're scared of he's going to curse them. And Shmuel said, I guess, that's not who I am. You've done bad to me. You have done bad to me. Right? But don't do that to Hashem. And I'm not going to stop davening for you. Even though I should. But Horace has come direct to Oshar. Right? And I'll pass in any shal that somebody sends to me. Shmuel goes like this. My name is Shalas, leave me alone. Got a king now? Get that guy out of here. Nope. You have any questions you want to send to me? You don't have to. If you want to, I'll do it. And for free. Like I did until now. And I will daven for you. I won't daven against you. Because I'm not like you. <laughs> Right? You guys are selfish and you're, uh, you know, always concerned about your number one interest. I'm not like that. That's not that's not who I am. And so he leaves the scene. It's very dramatic haftorah. Angry and bitter, but a class act. He's not going to take out, use his powers. Moshe used his powers because he was compelled to by circumstances to, you know, uh, avenge his own honor. I'll say it again. It wasn't Moshe didn't do it. Stamos like, but by the time it's over, he has to demonstrate his powers with the earthquake and all that. But you know, with the ground swallowing up. I mean, uh, Shmuel doesn't do that. Okay, uh, Shmuel is in a different situation, and he says, "I'm going out uh, angry and bitter, but uh, I'm still dominating on your behalf." So that is, uh, in some sense, like the classiest part. It's like the biggest musservort, I suppose, of the Haftorah. So you see a very dramatic and very human uh, moment, at least it seems to me. And, oh, I went long already. So let me uh, close this down and wish everybody a good week and a good Shabbos. I just have one more to do this week. And uh, we'll we'll proceed then. So uh, once again, I want to thank the Fleischmanns. I hope the Neshama of the Father Shmuel Fleischmann, of Shmuel Yehuda Ben Benyamin Yaakov, Tamil Aliyah. But the truth is, it's a Litvisha family, so there they believe the the if the memory inspires the family members to be good, that's the highest uh, compliment. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.